0: we
1: What's up everybody? Welcome to the 13th episode of the Generation Jaguar Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo. I'm here with my co-hosts Scott Klein and Hunter Evans. How are you guys doing today?
0: Just peachy, it's a new year.
1: Just peachy, yeah. We're we're, we're, not, we're not gonna watch another Jaguars. No, right? It's amazing. Not for a few more it's, a show first. it's our first show of 2017. It's our first Jaguars postseason show. While. Many teams are still playing in the NFL. The Jaguars, sadly, are not one of them. I feel like we've been doing postseason shows for a couple weeks, though. (laughs) (laughs) Probably more than a couple weeks. But this week, we don't have to really recap a game. Yes, the Jaguars lost their season finale to the Colts after being up 17-zip in the first half. Uh, Really disappointing end of the season, but it was kind of like a microcosm of the whole season that second half was. Yeah. Uh, Just an implosion. But, you know... We'll get into how that affected Doug Marone's job a little bit more later. But um, we're happy to have everybody here for the, again, 13th episode of the Gen Jag podcast. You can follow Generation Jaguar on Facebook and Instagram at Generation Jaguar and on Twitter at Generation Jag. Make sure to check out the website. We've got all the latest coaching search updates, draft coverage, and all the other Jaguars coverage you would want. So go check out the website, genjag.com. And also, um, make sure to follow Scott Klein on Twitter at Scott Klein One. Follow Hunter Evans on Twitter at Hunter underscore Evans underscore Seven. Finally, getting used to saying all those underscores and Hunter's uh Hunter's handle there. And you can follow me, Jordan Delugo, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jordan Delugo. So we wanted to go ahead and start off with the show, kind of reflecting on the season that was, and we figured the best way to do that is to um, give you some some uh, comments from the players on the previous coaching regime and kind of what they want to see moving forward. So Jalen Ramsey and Dante Fowler both came out in recent weeks, and basically they both said they felt caged all season, that they weren't allowed to really show off their talents and do everything that they can do on the football field.
2: There was a couple of people there's a couple more that said that too. <laughs> right.
1: Well, Ramsey and Fowler specifically said that they felt caged. Yeah. They used the word caged. I mean, that is a really strong statement from any football player about the head coaching or coaching in general and I think I think that's kind of an indictment from the players on Todd Wash. those are both defensive players that are dealing with Todd Wash on a day in and day out basis. And um, I think it's kind of widely believed that Todd Wash did a good job this year because uh, I mean the defense improved so drastically, you know, from being one of the worst units in football um, in 2015 to becoming one of the more reliable defenses especially against the past in 2016. So those are pretty pretty uh, telling comments, I think. And Ramsey also came out and said that he wants to see a complete flip in what's been going on with the coaching. So that obviously means... Purge!
2: Purge! That, Purge. Yeah. Get that darkness out!
1: Yeah, that obviously
2: means he wants new coaches entirely and... Even, he went as far to say kind of go in a little more in depth uh he he went on to say like it you just you you knew it was coming the same thing we did on first down in the for, in the first quarter we did in the fourth quarter right same thing on second down in the first and so on and so forth right which that's something that's fans and um
1: media analysts everybody us we've seen it we've talked about it Gus Bradley was unwilling to change his ways and unwilling to really change a game plan throughout a game and I guess I guess that kind of carried over into what happened uh, with the Colts game at the end of the season too there was no adjustments and the Colts came out and just smacked the Jags in the second half so obviously Ramsey and Fowler are both really unhappy I think a new coach would obviously obviously get them going but I, I also think These guys could be completely 100% correct that they were being caged, but there's also a feeling that I get of a little bit of immaturity
2: from both of them. Yeah. I mean... But you also have vets going right along saying, well... Hey, you know, things... Roy Miller came out and said it wasn't the scheme. Right. It was the the feel. Right. Not
1: the culture, but the actual scheme that was the... Like, so Ramsey and Fowler are saying the scheme was the problem. Whereas Sean and and Gibson, Gibson came out and said that too, that he wasn't used the way he thought he would be. But if he looked at the Jaguars' <laughs> defense last year and the it's Seahawks' all, defense from the past, it's he would have known them. exactly how he was going to be used. It's hard and, to see past those dollar signs. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, he admitted he didn't watch tape before the season. So, like, him saying prior to the season how excited he was to be used in this system. He was kind of just talking out of his ass, clearly, but he didn't like the way he was used, and um, perhaps a new coach will be able to improve the, for those guys the
2: scheme. How much? How much would a scheme? Is the scheme to blame? Like, oh, we, oh, the scheme was just terrible. Is is it that, or is it just like tweaking certain things that might have made a difference, or is it something that a scheme is like? The Bible, you got no, like
0: it's it's no. the end-all be-all scheme is not a Bible. There's yeah. most no there's there's no coach at a, a high level such as the NFL or even a very successful high school coach. No coach that is very successful sticks just to their scheme, except for Gus Bradley. Yeah, except <laughs> but, for, but you again, you did say I did very say successful. Successful. <laughs> look at there's a qualifier. There. I mean, look look at every level of football. Look at the very successful coordinators and head coaches, mm. no matter what level you are. Um, to me, the, because I watch it a lot and I pay attention, the Alabama way of football, five, six years ago, was we're going to line up under center, we're going to give you some different looks, but we're going to run the ball straight yeah. down your throat. Look at the past three years with Elaine Kiffin. It's a little more spread out, fit more to their guys. It's You can't take just your scheme and try and stick a square peg in a round hole. That's not going to work. We asked Um, Connor about coaching over here. The first thing he does is go straight to Nick Saban. (laughs) I'm kidding. kidding. It's a good example. It is a really good example. It's, to me, one of the closest I can think of. I mean, there are some teams that schemes are schemes are schemes are schemes. Like, look at Stanford. Stanford's always going to be that style of football. But the only problem is Stanford always gets caught in a bad situation where they can't Play just that style of football. You kind of pigeonhole exactly. Yeah. You are. Right. Yes. You're really good at what you do, but and they're they, going to win most of their games. Yes. But there's going to be games they lose because exactly. there's certain counters to their yes. stuff. They, I mean, yeah, they might get out of their scheme a little bit, but they're good at what they do. Like, so I think scheme is not necessarily the number one blame in this. It, it can't be. Like there's no way you can blame a scheme when Ramsey the scheme still had a is, pretty darn
2: good year. Playing in a scheme that apparently helped him. Yeah, back.
1: what it do you have any comments specifically on Ramsey and Fowler, how I, they were both quote
0: unquote caged? Fowler, I can understand where he's coming from because he said specifically, I think I'm more of a stand up two point kind of guy, which okay. Maybe. You can
2: see on film the way with where they used him with stunts yeah. and yeah. getting him in space. He's he's on to something, and clearly. I, I and think
0: he, that's what he did at Florida too a lot. A lot of them stand up. Yeah. And I think it makes him a little more versatile looking. I mean, look at what Denver's done with their guys. DeMarcus Swear has been standing up and doing a hell of a job out there. I mean, you if a guy's comfortable, you put him in what he's comfortable in. So maybe yes a little bit for him, I could see. When it comes to Jalen Ramsey, I'm not 100% understanding that. He's been man on... Yeah, like, like what else can yeah, you ask if for anything, as a corner? They've right? completely just said, we trust you. Go play football. Like, yeah, it's basically you're going up against a wide receiver. He's probably the only this DB and... on this team that's been trusted. Maybe. Can you name another corner or safety that's truly been given <laughs> the reins to just do what he does? I mean,
1: not consistently. No. Like, I mean, At times they put Prince on an island or. Yeah. You know, know right. but you, you that didn't always that work out, out. <laughs> well either.
0: I personally think that a lot of the comments made. If you look at the people making the comments, you got Ramsey Fowler, Deshaun Gibson made some comments, um, Devon House made some comments. They're all well, guys... Devon House got his He's attitude. just a redhead. He's, just the yeah, he's been... He's but they're all guys that have only been here for two years yeah. or less. Yeah. Not one guy over two years has made a comment. So I don't know... Well, this know. is the first time where they're not in the building anymore. Exactly. The is no longer in the building. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, now they might start to voice opinions, but it also might be that... They were probably not completely bought in. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I think I think Jalen Ramsey's being a little bit of a. I don't want to you know <laughs> use a bad word. you know I don't want to throw him under a bus, but I think he's being a little salty. To play devil's advocate, there
1: is there any way that maybe Ramsey, the technique that he was forced to use or something like that might have caged I, him? I just am trying <laughs> to figure out what he's talking maybe,
0: about. Maybe, but like that's. That's kind of like a childish thing to go and use. Like my coach ruined my technique. Like you're an NFL player. Like
2: well, there, there, there's always going to be guys who are better. Like look at uh, uh, what's his name, Josh Norman. Yeah, he excels in. Well, like, you in you got he, a guy who's really better most of in a man or better in a zone, a better, physical yeah,
0: player, better press, better off. I mean, like Richard Sherman. Well, that's
1: again back to scheme though, not as much mm. technique.
0: Well, yeah, it, right? when could, it comes to technique, for the most part. Every, I mean, I don't coach much defense. I've never have. But every defensive back coach or any kind of position coach, it's all pretty much the same. They just tweak it to what they feel is comfortable. Yeah. And, again, it's not a cookie-cutter kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. if you have a guy who's not comfortable doing something, you don't force him to be comfortable. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make sense. You let the guy be an athlete. Everybody knows Jalen Ramsey's an athlete. He's done it for how long? Yeah. I mean, he's a freak. But... He, t- maybe, maybe he didn't like how some things were. I know like was, how he was told to do some things. I, but I can't remember who said it. But somebody
2: who said uh, basically the um, a lot of it. I think it might have been Gibson. A lot of it was don't get beat deep. So something like that. In like, as far like as game, too conservative defensively. Yeah, that, be, I mean, that be makes more sense. willing to bail than you are to cover something underneath to protect your back end, which could. Technically, I guess you're you're backing off the receiver. You're kind of open in shade, but we could talk all night about scheme. Absolutely, we did. We've done it before. So,
1: moving on to another player who wasn't frustrated with the scheme, but was frustrated with the culture, which, in my opinion, was the biggest issue, was the culture with the Jaguars. There was this culture of just get better every day. That was Gus Bradley's freaking motto, basically. He literally Um,
2: said, winning doesn't matter. His first first conference. So, Kelvin
1: Beecham is like, screw that, man. We need a winner. We need a guy that only cares about winning. And we'll read you a direct quote from Beecham on the matter. Beecham said, I hope to see someone that believes winning is the only answer. That's the only option. There is no other option. There's not an option to get better. There's no option where we're going to get it right soon. There's no attaboys. No. Winning is the only option, and I think that is just so telling. Like these guys have been coddled and babied for the last four years, and they're ready to win. and I think sometimes it takes getting new guys in there that weren't brought into the league through this Gus Bradley system to realize, this is whack, we need to be winning. This is it's crazy an attitude. Don't be right. a, Don't be a pillow out there. Right. So <laughs> I think that's great. Uh, I totally agree with him and. As soon as I saw that he said that, it struck me, because the first game, uh, right after they had the uh, locker room speech from Marone, and Marone brought up winning like three or four times, and uh, I think his very last comment was, just win. Yeah. Yeah. What more is there than football, in football than winning? So I mean, it's telling. I think there's obviously got to be a culture shift. We can't bring in some other guy that's going to be doing the same type of Gus Ra Ra BS. Uh, I think everyone knows that. And he's though.
2: he's he's not the normal mold. He's definitely he he's an outside right. box thinker. It's not something that and it did work uh, all over the NFL. And I'm not saying it, it won't work, but it's it clearly he didn't transition into, okay, now maybe we should win a little bit. Right. That never happened. And uh,
1: now that he didn't make the transition, we will make a transition (laughs) from the players' comments to the actual coaching search. There's a number of names that are connected to the Jaguars' job already. I want to start with the most recent one that came out, Anthony Lynn, because it's also probably the funniest. Yeah. No disrespect to Anthony Lynn at all. I think he's a very good coach. An absolute um, legitimate candidate. He didn't get have any offensive coordinating experience until 2015, which that's not that long ago if you check the calendar. <laughs> but he did, as the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, lead them to having the two best rushing attacks in football the two years that he was there. Um, now, it certainly helps when you have a... Good offensive line and LaShawn McCoy lining up back there and a quarterback who can run the ball like crazy in Tyrod Taylor. But uh, he's a quality guy. And what's funny about Anthony Lynn is the fact that days ago he was linked to Gus Bradley, and it was basically – all but certain that Gus Bradley would be Anthony Lynn's offensive—I mean, excuse me—defensive coordinator, no matter where Anthony Lynn ended up as the head coach, Ooh. which is just that, hilarious.
2: That would be a funny interview. So, as in who are you going to bring in?
1: Obviously, that's not going to happen, right? Yeah,
2: no, there's zero percent chance.
1: Now, Anthony Lynn could end up getting the job. I think he's a long shot. Obviously, if he does get the job, Gus Bradley will not be his defensive Correct. coordinator. But um, he seems like a talented guy, and he's also a guy that will help the Jaguars and every other team that is trying to interview him, which I believe every team except for the Chargers has an interview scheduled with Lynn. Every team that does
2: not have a head coach. And he's and, he, and he's come out and said, I, you know, I'd like – to be the Bills coach. Right. He's right. publicly stated. And then there was the whole debacle
1: choosing. with the GM and
2: the That's Oh my god. I can I understand now why Doug Marrone left. Yeah. Cause he's probably like, these people are out of their mind. The GM doesn't know what's going on. I gotta get out.
1: Yeah. So pretty, it's
2: it's kind of paints a picture that you're like, I kinda understand what's going on.
1: Pretty crazy stuff there. But yeah, so Lynn will help the Jags out with the Rooney rule. If you're not familiar with the Rooney rule, it's basically a rule saying that Minorities have to get interviewed
2: for every open coaching position, which Harold Goodwin had already been on a list for interviews, which right. filled the role.
1: Right. So I'm not saying that Lynn is being interviewed by right. any of these teams to fill the Rooney rule, but it should be noted that he and Goodwin both do help teams
2: fulfill that uh, that obstacle that they have. Both both of these guys could. Come out and be great coaches. Right, but absolutely. But they're linked to, oh, it's just because they're fulfilling this role.
1: Right, and it shouldn't... We are not insinuating that in any way, but we're just letting you know. Teams absolutely do... The more you know. <laughs> right, the teams have to abide by this rule, and if they don't, they can uh, be fined. And I, I don't know what all the penalties can come down on them, but they have to do it. Uh, not to say that they're, doing, they're interviewing these guys because of that, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, so... You mentioned Harold Goodwin. He's another guy we can get into. He's Arizona's offensive coordinator. He's been their offensive coordinator since 2013 when Bruce Arians came on. Uh, He's been under Bruce Arians for a really long time, Mm. I think since 2007. He started with him at Pittsburgh and then went with Indy and then now to Arizona, Um, progressively getting more responsibilities as the time went on. But one interesting thing about Goodwin is that he actually was not the passing game coordinator. That was still Bruce Arians, but he Goodwin has been able to construct, you know, one of the better offenses in football, and definitely one of the better rushing attacks yeah. in football. It doesn't help that you get David. I mean, it doesn't hurt that you get David Johnson in the third round. Obviously, just one of the best backs in football, probably the best all-purpose back in football. But uh, Goodwin's done some good things. Um, the only thing you kind of worry about with him is he a product of Bruce Arians? Obviously, Arians has come out and uh, he's come out and said, you know, Goodwin's ready to be a head coach in the NFL. But what what head coach that has a coordinator hasn't said that?
2: And, given you, and you can even see how up. much influence Bruce Arians has on what is Harold Goodwin's job. Yeah. Is that he still has his hands all over the passing game. Right. So, so he's mean, still kind of in control. Not to say my, that.
0: My link. Only- <laughs> Question about Harold. My only question about him is, and some of these other offense coordinators, is, just because you're an offense coordinator does not mean you're a play caller. Correct. And that I don't think people realize. Like, just because Harold Goodwin's the offense coordinator in Arizona, he doesn't call the plays. And right? just and just because you're a good offense coordinator doesn't necessarily exactly, translate. Like you you to could be a just good be running a system.
2: Well, that. I totally agree with what you both
1: said, but I also think being an offensive coordinator, being a good play caller, has nothing to do with becoming a good head coach. No. And you don't even necessarily want your head coach to be calling the plays. Yeah. It can work, Unless but I think ide- Yeah, I think ideally you want a guy that's an overseer. Yeah, you do. And then you have the offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator, and special teams coordinator
0: that can handle their own units. While this guy just oversees everything, I, I mean, I agree. Like, my only issue—not issue, but my only concern with a guy who would not be a play caller, but would have that title, would be that he doesn't have the trust to that game management of a side of the team. Like, yeah, yeah, he's the offense coordinator. Probably on the day-to-day on basis, he he sets up a lot of the game plan. But the guy who calls the plays—that's the dude. Like. On game day, what does he doing? I mean Bruce Arians knows everything yeah. about that offense, every tweak yeah. that there is, all the way down to that, that finest grain of salt. Like so that's my only concern with that. It's not probably not the biggest issue when you, yeah. when it goes into the overseer of a team, but it's, it's something it's to, something take to at least think about. Like yeah. if you're looking at these guys and saying, you know, he's the architect of a team, like maybe not quite as much as you would think. Yeah. So
1: so we've got our two guys we just talked about. They're both kind of dark horse candidates that came out a little bit later than um, than some of the other guys that we've heard about. Uh, another really dark horse candidate is Matt Patricia. Yeah. From New England, he's their defensive coordinator. He hasn't been in coaching for a super long time now, and um, he. Honestly, is a guy that most people don't know a whole lot about. He doesn't have that head coach look to him. You know, he's got the scraggly beard. He's a little bit yeah, he's definitely a little bit bigger of a guy. <laughs> not the not in the mold, right? So, I mean, he's not that type of guy that you think of as a head coach. But Man, apparently, the wonders yeah, the Jaguars apparently have reached out and asked to interview him, and he's a guy that. You can't take lightly with what he's done with New England's defense, especially with the fact that New England, at the drop of a hat, is ready to get rid of their best
2: yeah. their best defenders, can, and they
1: just replace them with someone else no matter what.
2: He has a very above-average defense when you get rid of guys like... Chandler, um, Chandler Jones. Jones um, uh, what's his name? The Browns. Yeah. Jamie, Jamie Collins. Yeah. I mean... You you have no problem trading away that guy, and the defense doesn't skip a beat.
1: Yeah, Darrell You're doing Ravis, right.
2: they got rid of you know. So like, and there's not a lot of big names on that defense. No, no, there's absolutely not.
1: But they just get it done, and um, he's he's done a great job. Obviously, there's that whole stigma of well, is it just Bill Belichick doing everything? And I think that. That's unfair. I believe. But I do understand it because of the fact that most Belichick tree, coaching tree guys have not been successful head coaches. You go back to Romeo Crennel, Charlie Weiss. Um, there's been tons of guys. But, you know, that is what it is. And now we'll move to Matt Patricia's counterpart, yeah. Josh McDaniels, who's very much not a dark horse candidate. He has been one of the guys that's been linked to every head coaching job from the very beginning of this process. Um, He's widely considered one of the best offensive minds in football, and, you know, with good reason. He has gotten the best out of every quarterback he's ever worked with, including Tebow, including, uh, obviously, Tom Brady, Matt Castle, Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo this year, what he was able (laughs) to do with them, totally changing the offense on a game-by-game basis is just incredible. Uh, He's still a young guy. I believe he's only... uh, Around forty years old, uh, he has previous head coaching experience with Denver. It's not necessarily a great experience that he had in Denver, but it's certainly a learning experience. And that he, and so he he is absolutely learned corner. from it. And there's plenty of plenty of uh, content out there that you can find that speaks to Josh McDaniels' maturation as a coach. And uh, he's a guy you have to take seriously. I mean, what do you think about Josh McDaniels, Hunter?
0: I mean, as an offensive coach, she's been nothing but amazing. I mean, yeah, I'm talking about as the Jags. I know, but I'm I'm just yeah. Like what he does up in New England is a. It's hard not to think he'd be a good fit here, and he has a link to Blake
1: Bortles. He does. Apparently, the Patriots were going to draft Blake Bortles with their first round pick if Bortles wasn't taken earlier. So I mean, that says a lot. It
0: really does. I mean, yeah. it's pretty crazy to think about. I think he could be – he definitely could be a good fit here. Like, he would bring a, a new style of mentality, I think, to this offense and would make it a little bit more exciting. Um, I mean, look at what he does. Every week in New England, it's a different games plan. Like, yep. It's completely different. There's no way to tell what they're going to do. And it's all based off who they play. So I think bringing that kind of creativity and – New style of thinking here would be a good thing, but I mean, with either of those guys in New England, I don't think you can necessarily go wrong. Like, yeah, Matt Patricia, like it's hard to say he's like the next Bill Belichick. You can't say that, but if you look at their career paths, they're very, very similar. Like Bill Belichick started as an offensive guy; he wasn't a defense guy. Now, at Navy, he, right? Yeah, yeah right. Like, he, he grew up he grew up at Navy, pretty much. So you grow up in that kind of mentality of an offense, and then you change into one of the best defensive coaches ever. Matt Patricia played at a small school, RPI, as an offensive lineman, and then became an offensive lineman assistant. And then somehow flipped over with the New England Patriots as a um, safeties coach and, I think I believe, a linebackers coach. Yeah. So it's, you never know. I mean... I think to me, those two guys are my would be my favorites. For the All play. right, I was gonna get, I was gonna ask you that in a little bit after we
1: went through some of the guys, but
0: Hunter's already yeah, come sorry. out. Let's <laughs> go saw- with one of the Patriots guys. I, I think either one of those guys, it's. They're not necessarily the sexy pick. Josh McDaniels is probably the more sexy. I think sexy. both of those guys would be but exciting picks, though. I really Matt know. Patricia's. It's just like he's more of a. He, look at him. He I'm wears his a hat backwards. Heart. He has a yeah. Matt
1: Patricia would be
0: like meme tastic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Jaguars
1: Twitter would get a hold of that and just have a great field day. It, but you know,
0: and if you look at the comments that some people have said about Matt Patricia from the Patriots, his excitement and enthusiasm that he brings every day. Not to mention his loyalty to what he does. I believe they said his loyalty to the Patriots, but in this business, everyone knows your loyalty to one team is not necessarily that. It's a loyalty to what you're doing and where you are. It's so, a commitment to your job. Exactly. Like, your than, job, no matter look. where you are. Like You're going to put your foot in the ground, and that's who you are, and that's what you're going to build yourself as. So right now, if either one of those guys was hired, it would hard, be very, very hard to disagree. Yeah.
1: I'm with you there. Now, Josh McDaniels is a bit of an offensive guru. There's someone else who's a head coaching candidate who might even be a bigger offensive guru. He's been a offensive coordinator since 2008. He's had several stops, and that is Kyle Shanahan, son of the great NFL head coach Mike Shanahan. And uh, Kyle is a guy that has been around football his whole life. He said it's his life work to basically know every single thing about football to where any player could ask him any question and he would be able to give them the answer. Um, he's been working with Matt Ryan the last two years, and this year Matt Ryan just had by far his best year in his career under Kyle Shanahan. and The Falcons' offense has really been impressive under him. Um Obviously, uh, he doesn't have any head coaching experience, but he's a guy that's only 37 years old. He's a guy that you might be able to identify with some of these younger players better. He might not be. You never know. Age doesn't determine you know how guys are be able to mesh, but you would think a guy that's younger might be able to um, identify with maybe you know Ramsey and Fowler and get them out of their cage.
0: Yeah. Uncage those beasts, please
1: So, Shanahan is definitely one of the top candidates I feel like if he doesn't get the job here He's going to get the job somewhere around the league Um, And somebody's going to be very happy to have him So now we've gone over most of the candidates And we're going to get into the candidates Not necessarily that I think are the best But that I think are the most likely Uh, Tom Coughlin, it doesn't seem likely Honestly, anymore that he will be but I would give him better odds than some of these other guys based on the fact that there's so much familiarity, and if the Jaguars do decide to move quickly with this process, they can grab Tom Coughlin and then also try to grab two of the best coordinators, which is huge. Yeah. Uh, getting the right coordinator for Jacksonville is
2: just as important as getting the right head coach. you You got to think that they're hoping to get this done quick right. to be able to ju- jump yeah. on... The biggest name guy. Yeah, so you can beat out the rest of the
1: teams to the punch. Um, now, Hayes Carline, who's now a 1010XL, uh, came up with this idea. I can't say that I hadn't thought about it in my head, but he put it down on pen and paper, so i to got to give him some credit. Tom Coughlin plus Wade Phillips and Mike McCoy. That is like a dream team of coaches right there. Basically have Tom
2: just be his... CEO. Yeah, Mike McCoy runs
1: the offense and Wade Phillips brings in his patented 3-4 style of defense. Really gives uh, Fowler and Ngakwe some space to play with and then you know, you could get any number of guys on the inside. Obviously Malik Jackson and uh, uh, Senderek Marks would fit with the 3-4 being five techniques and then you get your nose. You've got Roy Miller. You could bring back Avery Jones as a free agent if you want. Um, I think the Jaguars have pretty good personnel for 3-4 four, or 4-3, four, whichever coordinator comes in. But it does seem like Coughlin might have the cachet to go get the best coordinators possible.
0: Well, I mean, Coughlin's like, he's like that, uh, what's the word? I'm he's just that guy on the block that sits on the corner like at that house on the top of the steps <laughs> that knows Everybody, like, yep. that's the that's right. I, for some reason that's the idea I get. Like you're walking down the street, there's always that house with the old man on the top of the steps sitting I th- there. I
2: thought you were going to say
0: he was like Clint Eastwood, kind <laughs> of oh, that mom. One, <laughs> minus <laughs> of the get along, but he's like the guy that knows everybody though. Like he knows whoever passes by him, he knows. Yeah, and he's so been a it's very time. possible that he would be able to pull a Mike McCoy, Wade Phillips kind of deal and he's got some cachet around the league. Yeah, if that's hey. the case, it'd be really hard not to hire just because right. of that kind of deal you'd be getting. Um, I think the Mike McC- or the the Wade Phillips part would be a lot better than the Mike McCoy. Personally. Oh, I love Mike McCoy. I like Mike McCoy too, but wait what Wade Phillips would bring with that three four well, I do he's agree. Wade success. Phillips
1: has done crazy things everywhere he's been a defensive coordinator. He's done it in uh, he did it in Houston, Dallas. Denver, did... Dallas. Like he's done it everywhere, yeah. and he's, he's just he's got the pedigree, and he's not going to be around that much longer in terms of coaching. No. Uh, if he could come to Jacksonville as a defensive coordinator, that's a huge win. Yeah. Huge win for Jaguars fans everywhere. Now. These are my two guys I think most likely to get the job. And I would have said Doug Maroon was even more likely to get the job prior to last week. But he's the Jaguars interim head coach. He has coaching experience. He has good coaching experience. Uh, He was successful in Buffalo. He's been successful everywhere he's been. And he was successful for three out of the four quarters. I mean, excuse me, three out of the four halves that he got to be the Jaguars head coach, unfortunately the final half, the final act of the Jaguars season was a complete debacle. Uh, So I think that kind of... I'm not going to say it throws him out of the race, but it didn't help at all. And then you've got the fact that the players are kind of looking for a totally new uh, culture and all that. And I think Maroon would establish an entirely different culture. But there's still just be that lingering effect of um, yes. guys yeah, I mean, that would still be there. And Nathaniel Hackett would stick around, which Blake Bortles has come out and said that he wants Nathaniel Hackett to have another year. But, I mean, it's probably not going to happen. I'm sorry. I,
0: God, it sucks, too. Those comments made about the whole complete reboot of the staff yeah. probably hurt. But if you just watch the past two games and just kind of take it as an, almost like an unbiased view of just football – it was a completely different team. Like Corey it Grant was. for hundred, went over hundred yards in the final game. Sitting in the yeah, stands, that was,
1: that was the Colts' defense. Yeah. But, true. but sitting Corey in Grant the stands well.
0: watching that game here, like it was hard not to be like, what, what is going on? Like who who is on the field right now? If you
2: look like that all year round, things are totally different. They well, were, Gus
0: Bradley's still the head coach. If they look like that all year long, very it's true. true. And I think it's a completely different team. But like the mentality, and you can tell just. There was a different vibe on the sideline, maybe. Like, uh, when we play Houston, it was like, you could tell the difference from the sidelines.
1: Well, yeah, Marona's in talking to
2: all the different position yes. groups after uh, every time. Always up That's and great. down. Always yeah. back Coming the off floor. the field, he's, yeah. he's always talking to the guys. Hey, maybe this is what we can... Yeah, it's... Obviously, it's speculation sure. on what he was saying. But he was actually communicating with the people coming on and
0: off the field, telling them, okay, here's what... And it was a totally different feel. If if I could pick my guy, like, for me, for something just seems like Marone would be a great fit with this team. Like, I like Mike Shanahan, and I, or, uh, Kyle. sorry, no, Kyle, Kyle. Kyle Shanahan, I like Josh McDaniels, and I like Matt Patricia. But if I could pick one that I think I would at least be able to hang my hat on for a couple of years, it'd be hard not to take Doug Marone. I
1: agree with you. I love Marone. I've been... Kind of singing his praises for a while. Obviously, that last game did not help. But, you know, he just has everything that it seems like you want in a head coach. Mm -hmm. And we're going to move on from Maroon here real quick and get into our last guy that has been connected to the job. And it's probably the most likely guy to get the job. That's Mike Smith. He's the Bucks' defensive coordinator. He coached Atlanta Falcons um, from, I believe, 07 to maybe 2013 or 12. Uh, he had seven years in Atlanta, and he won 66 games in those seven years. He went to the playoffs four times. He took Atlanta, which was in a, Atlanta was in a worse situation as an organization when Mike Smith started that job than the Jaguars are right now by far. Well, it's not even
0: close. Atlanta was a joke. Except yeah. for, what, two, three years of their whole franchise. Right. It helps
2: when your quarterback, you hit on it. That's well, yeah, they fans. hit on Matt Ryan.
0: They absolutely <laughs> did. And
2: and I, then you get Julio. <laughs> we'll I don't... A bit after.
1: Well, Julio... Yeah, I mean, Julio did help, but they were successful before Julio ever got there mm-hmm. with Roddy White and Tony Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Um they did a great job constructing constructing that team, you know. While he was there, obviously after he left, they had some re, big rebuilding to do, um, and they've done that now. They're one of the top teams in the NFL again. But he's a guy that coached in Jacksonville. Um, he coached probably the best Jaguars defenses of all time yeah. from uh, about 2004, 2005 to 2007. Uh, you know, guys like Marcus Stroud, John Henderson, Mike Peterson, Donovan Darius, Rasheen Mathis. The list goes on and on with the talented guys he coached. And the guys that he got the most out of as the Jaguars defensive coordinator. So he has familiarity. He has the coaching pedigree in terms of being a former coach. And he's just a guy that's very likable. I think he's a guy that would be a good overseer again. I think um, he's not that... He's not that guy that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. And I think that's something that goes a long way, honestly, in the NFL. And if he, he I think, is a guy that would also be able to bring in some really solid coordinators if, he, if he's gotten at the right time. Um, and it just seems like the most obvious guy, in my opinion. What do you guys think about Smith?
2: Yeah, I mean, he's it, it, it's interesting. He hasn't really, outside of us, he hasn't really gotten too much... Play. Play. Yeah. I mean, we're. Yeah. Uh, I think there was one other team, and that was today that it was announced, that yeah. has asked to interview him. And I don't know if that's writing on the wall, like, okay, teams, okay, he's kind of pigeonholed to us. Or if they're like, we think there's better stuff out there. Or maybe they're like, Mike Smith's going to be the
1: guy in Jacksonville. We shouldn't even exactly. worry about it. So, yeah, who knows about that? Obviously... Obviously, it'll be interesting over the next couple of weeks to see when this job uh, announcement happens and how everything goes down. Um, we'll move on real quickly. We've got some exciting news from the past, a little blast from the past in Tony bacelli <laughs> He has made the final 15 for the 2017 Hall of Fame class. This is the first time he's made it to the finals, and uh, only five players make it into the class every year, and... He's a he's tough sledding this year, but the fact that he was able to break into the final 15 is really positive for him. Um, there's guys like Isaac Bruce that are up. I mean, he's been up for a while. There's also several other really really solid players: Terrell Owens, Ladainian Tomlinson. Um, so it doesn't look likely that Baselli will get in this year, but. The fact that he's made it this far is a really solid sign. There's progress, and it looks like eventually he will get in. Obviously, the reasons he hasn't gotten in yet or are... The biggest reason is the longevity of his career. He just did not play very long. Um, and then the second biggest reason is the market he was in. Jacksonville Jaguars do not get a lot of uh, national media play, and uh, they just honestly suffer from that. That's just... Same reason why
2: Fred Taylor made one Pro Bowl as right. an alternate. Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> so the positives on Baselli's career are endless. Obviously, he's, in my estimation, the best left tackle of all time. And Walter Jones, who is one of his contemporaries, will say that. And Walter <laughs> Jones is widely considered to be one of the best <laughs> left tackles of all time. And he's a Pro Bowler. I mean, a Hall of Famer already. Baselli went to five straight Super Bowls from 96 to 2000. Three time pro All Bulls. Pro. Oh, did I just say <laughs> Super, Super Bowls? We wish. Yeah, we I do just, wish. He just, we got Scott to snort over there. Okay. We don't blame him. Baselli went to five straight Pro <laughs> Bowls. Three time All Pro. I mean, his impact on the game is just. It's not even definable. And the fact that he's stuck around and done so much stuff with the Jaguars locally and. He's now a sideline reporter and a color guy for many games during the year that not just Jaguar games, games around the league. He's a guy that needs to make it. And uh, he's a guy that I think eventually will make it into the Hall of Fame. Again, uh, you're listening to the Generation Jaguar podcast, or GenJag for short. You can find us online at GenJag.com. We've got all the latest coaching updates, everything you need to know on the Jags. Um, You can follow Jim Jag on social media, Twitter, at Generation Jag, Facebook and Instagram, at Generation Jaguar. And again, I'm here with my co-hosts, Scott Klein and Hunter Evans. And now we're going to get into Blake Bortles. And uh, he obviously, well, I guess I shouldn't say obviously, but in my estimation, Blake Bortles is easily... The most important piece to this franchise moving forward, and getting him back to where he was in 2015, and then improving upon that is by far the most important you, you could thing say, for you, this franchise. You could
2: say that about any quarterback in the league, right? Because it's no, the most absolutely. important position. Absolutely, whoever's playing quarterback, he might as well, he has to be a top five player like, on your team for you to
0: have a chance the, at true success. The difference is. Yes, your quarterback makes you better, but Blake Bortles succeeding is probably the difference between Dave Caldwell having a job. Absolutely, Dave Caldwell not having. It's a job. got a lot of ripples. Yeah, like it, if Blake Bortles does not succeed, it makes Caldwell look terrible. First off, because you took this guy as your as your guy. Yeah. Not to mention, if Blake Bortles is bad, you got your second round draft pick with Robinson, who doesn't look good. You got a couple other guys like Julius Thomas, your free agent tight end, doesn't look good. The the list goes on and on. Like it's like a trickle down effect. If Blake Bortles is good, everybody else is good. Everybody's happy. Yeah, that's right. So it's I mean, please, (laughs) like please, Blake, stay away from the Ritz. And there's been a lot of talk about.
2: There's been a lot coming to light. Yeah, as far as we want to get into that, yeah, in the off
1: season, so. There was a big narrative this during this season that Blake Bortles did not put in enough work, that he was drinking too much. <laughs> Lay off him; he's a grown man. I cannot stress enough how much I disagree with those statements. Blake Bortles, instead of going to California like he did following his rookie campaign—I mean, sorry, his sophomore campaign—with excuse me. Following his rookie campaign, he went out to California. He spent an extensive amount of time uh, working with his quarterback guru coaches, Adam Dito and uh, Tom House. And it worked for him. He came out and he threw a crazy amount of touchdown passes the following season. And he was really just a changed guy. And then after that, Fast forward to last offseason, Bortles had to make a decision whether to stay in Jacksonville and practice with his uh, teammates, with Robinson and Hearns and all the guys who stayed in town, or to go back to California and work with his quarterback gurus again. Bortles figured, I did enough work on my mechanics and all that last offseason, I need to get more chemistry with my guys.
2: And there was a little bit of influence to that as well sure, Yes, awesome.
1: absolutely yeah, yeah. He was highly influenced And uh, <laughs> we'll get into that oh, but, I'm, 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 I'm burying well, the lead No, 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 you're fine We're about to get into it in just a second But um, really, he made the wrong decision mm. He decided to stay with his guys With his wide receivers and practice with them Instead of going to California And working on his own personal game Now Bortles had a lot to say about this um, this week. And Scott's over here apologizing. It's all good. It's all good. I'm Bortles, jumping at a bit. I'm ready yeah. to talk about this. Yeah, Bortles had a lot to say, and he's normally the guy to take all of the blame himself. So when Bortles comes out and says, you know, some comments about someone, he's probably not lying. So we're going to go ahead and get into what Bortles had to say about some things with Greg Olson, who was the Jaguars' offensive coordinator, heading into and during most of the 2016 season. Bortles had this to say. He said, There was a difference in beliefs between Ole, Greg Olson, and the guys that I throw with out in California, who's Tom House and Adam Dito. They'd had a previous interaction and disagreed on some things, so he was a little negative to them, he being Greg Olson, but he was totally supportive of what I wanted to do. But all our wide receivers were here in Jacksonville, so he thought it was a good idea, and to me it seemed like a good idea as well to come in here and throw with those guys. The only thing I missed was instead of going and throwing with somebody that's watching me throw and critiquing and helping every single throw, I threw here by myself the whole time and had nobody watching me or telling me what I was doing wrong. I can't do that. I need people to help me. I need constant feedback on stuff like that." So that says a lot. Obviously Bortles isn't the type of guy that can not be coached by a quarterback coach every offseason. He's going to need that every offseason. Now do other quarterbacks that have become elite quarterbacks need that? Yeah, Tom Brady works with a quarterback coach every offseason. Peyton Manning, all these guys do that. So this is a good thing that Bortles is realizing this now instead of down the road when it's too little too late. So I believe if Bortles is able to go out to California like he's planning on doing and work on the mechanics, there's no reason that Bortles should not be a much-improved quarterback in
2: 2017. To me, it's like... I can. I'm just gonna go off a little off topic. To me, it's like I can go out shoot around a round of golf. I'll shoot a 98, and I'll and I'll be okay. I'll hit some good shots, unless I have someone. Oh, by the way, you, you kind of tweaked your swing there a little bit. You 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 could really hit that better. Oh yeah, I didn't see that. You yeah. no, I'm just playing. It's uh, to have somebody watching you saying, "Well, hold on, you're you're practicing. You're putting in all the work, but you're practicing the wrong way." Yeah. If you if you're practicing the wrong way, you don't you 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 have no idea. Oh, I need to change things up because it feels right. I'm doing what I think is right, but somebody's out there watching you, saying, "Hey, you're doing this. You should really be just tweaking it. Kind of you know, striding a little bit more. Make your make your uh, your your backswing a little bit quicker." Um, so it's something where I can completely understand where he's coming from. Yeah. and to me, it's bring a guy out here. To kind of help you out, you know, on downtime. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't care where Bortles is yeah. practicing; just get it done. I mean, I mean, he's
2: through
0: the season. Yeah, just the I think thing.
1: he just feels super comfortable with House and Dito.
0: Yeah,
2: and it, he's going out there for like six weeks straight. Yeah,
0: it's. I mean, it the the quarterback position right now is such an intriguing position where there's so many things that go into teaching and coaching and playing the position. I mean, nowadays you have virtual reality and all these different quarterback gurus and camps, the Elite 11 and all these things, where you have to have somebody you trust and that you can go to and spend some quality time with on and off the field to really improve your game and be the best you can be. Just going out on the field and throwing for an hour does not do the same thing as going out and throwing with a guy who's there to truly help you. Yeah. So if he does that like he did two years ago, there's probably a good chance that we see of different Blake Portals.
1: Yeah, and that's what we all need to see, obviously. Now we've been talking about coaching search, the current team, how un- unhappy players are with what was going on this season. Now let's get into some potential new Jaguars. We'll get into some draft talk right now, and we're going to specifically focus on the number four overall pick. Now the Jaguars have been linked so far mostly to pass rushers and running backs and mock drafts. Um, There's an abundance of really quality pass rushers. And the three most common that you see at the top of the draft are Miles Garrett, Jonathan Allen, and Derek Barnett. These guys not only have the college stats to back up their game, they are physical freaks, and they're going to probably show out at the combine. Um... So Miles Garrett, he's a true junior from Texas A&M. 31 career sacks, 47 tackles for loss and seven forced fumbles. He's 6 foot 5, 260
0: plus pounds. What do you see out of him, Hunter? Uh, a guy that can do pretty much whatever you ask him to do. I mean, yeah. he's a freak off the edge. He's d- good enough to play the 5 tech in a 3-4. He's good enough to be a 3 tech if you need him to be. Like if you had a, a Yannick outside on him, and then you have him at a three, and you're bringing like a, sp- a speed package. He is a do it all, whatever you need to happen kind of pass rusher. Um, he has his ups, and my only concern about him would be he doesn't, if people focus on him, he's not as productive. Right. And I, the so he's the focal point he, of the offensive line's yeah, game plan. And obviously, that's probably very kind of Captain Obvious to say, but yeah. if you look at his bowl game this year, He was completely neutralized and I think maybe had one tackle that's not good enough to me like it's not it doesn't matter how much you're being focused on so
1: now obviously that's something that if if Garrett did come to the Jaguars they would not be able to focus their entire game plan on stopping him offenses wouldn't because of Malik Jackson and Yannick Ngakwe and Dante Fowler and so on and so on but um yeah, he's a talented guy. I don't think he'll be there when the Jaguars select. I, don't I do think there will be a couple quarterbacks taken before the 4th pick, but I think Garrett will probably be the other guy that's taken. Um, there's Jonathan Allen who Hunter should know all about. <laughs> the Alabama defensive end defensive tackle hybrid type of guy. He can play 3 technique, he can play outside. He has 27 career sacks, 43 and a half tackles for lost Three forced fumbles. Now, he's actually a senior. Miles Garrett's a junior, and a lot of the guys we're going to get into are juniors. But um, Allen was able to stay in school all four years, and gosh, he is just something else. What was the game where he just basically got... Got immediately around the guard yeah, and just, just that exploded. Was, that was
0: Texan. Oh my god. He vaulted over the really running back, really yeah. jumped over the guy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Unbelievable athleticism for a guy a that big. Yeah. And being an Alabama fan, I gotta take that aside sometimes. Like I have to appreciate, yes, the guys I like, yeah. but I also have to like the guy because damn they're good. Like yeah. Jonathan Allen was a second round draft pick probably last year. He got his grade, said that's not good enough. I'm coming back. And in his own words, I'm gonna make myself a top ten pick. Damn right. And if right. he did not make himself, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he made I'm himself right. a lot of money this year. If you like, Miles Garrett and Jonathan Allen, to me, were the two most dominant yeah. defensive players. Maybe not the most sexy picks with like Jabril, Prepper, uh, Jabril peppers and stuff. Please yeah. no to Jabril yeah. peppers. No, but those two guys, to me, were the absolute most dominant defensive yeah. players in college football this year. Even more.
1: Dominant than one Derek Barnett, who <laughs> overtook the Minister of Defense, Reggie right. White, as, oh, the, my goodness. as the Tennessee Volunteers' all time leading sack master. What
0: he did in the ball game was unreal. Yeah. I but, mean. okay, three guys that are more dominant. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but it's just like yeah. it, if the Jaguars took one of those three guys,
1: <laughs> you gotta feel good. You gotta watch out for that D line if that's yeah, what happens.
0: Y- you do because it's a, it's a, and know, it looks like it's starting to kind of line up that they way. They can do everything. There's not one guy on that line that is pigeonholed. Like they yeah. can do any and everything you need them to. So it's those three guys probably would be my favorites.
1: Yeah. So we got into these guys and Barnett, Allen, Garrett. They are going to be studs at the NFL. It really, it really looks like that's going to happen. Now, we've got our running backs. We've mentioned these guys before. Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette. The Jaguars need their running game to come to life. Both of these guys are true juniors. Both of them averaged over six yards of carry in college. Both of them had over 40 touchdowns in college. And they both had over 3,800 career rushing yards. And again, that's as true juniors. They did that in three seasons. These guys, much like the... um, pass rushers that we talked about these guys not only have the numbers they have the absolute uh, physical skill and the traits that everyone's looking for in running backs dalvin cook is a big guy he's not the biggest running back you'll find but he's big enough he's 200 plus pounds and he runs hard, and he runs by people all the time, and he just seems to have a natural feel for getting past defenders. And then you go look at Fournette, and he's really the prototype for a running back. He's massive, he is fast, he is strong. I mean, he what can't he do? Uh, for me, the only difference between the two really is obviously Fournette has the size advantage, but Cook definitely has the elusiveness advantage, um, and you know the acceleration advantage. Fournette takes a little longer. To get going, but at top speeds, their difference is negligible. What do you guys think? Is it reasonable to think the Jaguars could take a running back? And would you want either of these guys? And which one would you want? It to me,
2: what what day is today? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my answer differs depending yeah. on what day yeah. it is because these guys are that good. Um, absolutely, it's reasonable if they feel. Let's say Miles. Garrett and John Allen are off the board. Do they grade one of these running backs higher than, let's say, a Derek Barnett? Then, yeah, it's absolutely reasonable. Yeah. And probably, depending on what happens in front of them, can
0: almost be expected at yeah. this point. What do so, you think? It, I, could they? Yes. <laughs> Will they? I really don't think so. Like, okay. I I just don't see it happening. I I mean, it would be crazy to draft a running back at the top of the
1: second
2: round
0: less than two years ago. I mean, look at what they did. Okay, look at what uh, Dallas did. They drafted their guy, what, fourth overall or whatever?
2: That's after they spent a lot of takes on the offensive line. But they
0: draft that guy. People think they're crazy. (laughs) Then he does great. Now it's like the big thing. Oh, draft (laughs) a running back early. But with either of these guys, the questions you have would be maybe with Leonard Fournette and being healthy. Yeah. Give me Cook. Be, I'm on the bandwagon. Um, Leonard Fournette. I want Cook. Give me the home run hitter. Has <laughs> been stopped. I would say Leonard Fournette has had the better offensive line for his career, and he's been stopped. More. Completely neutralized more than once. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Dalvin Cook has never been stopped. Nope. Ever. Like, there's been a game where it's like, all right, it's the third quarter, and he's only got 20 yards. Himself. Next thing you know, he's at 130 yards and yeah. three touchdowns, and you're like, okay, well, yeah. somebody must have blinked. Like, Leonard Fournette is probably your do-everything kind of bell cow running back, and Dalvin Cook's probably your guy you can really hang your hat on everywhere in the football game with passing, rushing. He's going to break one eventually. It's just, what do you want?
1: Now, we've gone
0: over the, I, I would say, the five biggest guys
1: that are linked to the Jaguars. Now we've got strong safety. Jamal Adams is a Freak athlete. He's a true junior from LSU. The Jaguars may be losing Jonathan Cyprian due to free agency. And they may just want to replace Cyprian regardless because he just hasn't panned out to be what they thought he would be. Jamal Adams is 6'1", 215. He's got all the, all the stats you want. Over 200 career tackles. Five interceptions. Forced fumbles. 14 passes defended. He's a guy that athletically probably can move more like a free safety, but he can hit and play in the box like a strong safety. He seems like the total package. I don't necessarily think this is where the Jaguars will go, but I think if certain things fall the right way, they could. Do you guys have any input on, on uh, Jamal Adams or just the idea of drafting a safety? I know it's, it, it's, not, it's not ideal to draft a safety
0: that high. It all depends on what the defense creator wants. So, I mean, do you have a two-high safety? Do you have a one-high safety? I mean, right. What do you want your strong safety to do? That's pretty much what it depends on. And, obviously, what's taken in front of you and what your draft stock is. Yeah. How about you, Scott?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's no questioning his talent. I just I think there's more pressing needs. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, that's pretty much going
1: to do it for our show today. We appreciate everybody stopping by, hanging out, listening with us. Uh, This is the Generation Jaguar podcast. Again, find us online at genjag.com. We've got all your latest Jaguars coaching news and draft coverage. Follow Scott Klein, my co-host, at Scott klein one My other co-host, Hunter Evans, at Hunter underscore Evans underscore seven. And find me, Jordan DeLugo, at Jordan DeLugo on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. Happy New Year.